Hey, fun Ooh, birds. Oh, uh, birds yeah. brought us into this one. That's exciting. Chirp, chirp, chirp. Chirp, chirp. <laughs> <laughs> um, welcome to this episode of Finding My Young. We're so excited. We have uh, Dr. Amy Harwick on the podcast. We do. Today. She's great. Yes. Um, she is the first uh, clinical psychologist that we've had mm-hmm. who is a marriage and family therapist, but she also has a lot of um, extra training in terms of like sexuality and sex. Uh, and so we really enjoyed our conversation. She was fantastic. She was amazing. Yeah. And it was cool because. You know, we've had a lot of um, amazing women on who work in the the sexuality space um, with healing and sex magic and, you know, uh, pleasure focused. And so this was cool to get um, almost a scientific sort of mm-hmm. uh, perspective on it and like how she approaches some of the things that we've heard about. Um, it was interesting. I found that like a lot of what she said uh, backed up. Um, a lot of what some of the yeah, other women had said. It was absolutely. Was, I don't think there was anything where it was like, oh no, that person was totally wrong, which no. I think is great because obviously yeah. we wouldn't want to, you know, shit on any guests. But like, no, but they, still, like, yeah, they were hear. all yeah. aligned. It was just sort of a different way in. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was super interesting. Um, and then she also talked a little bit about her, like her own personal journey, yeah, um, which was also super fascinating, and like uh, how her life became public because of a public uh, relationship that she had, mm-hmm. and, and navigating that while being you know, an independent doctor with all of these amazing credentials and a a career and then being defined by this one thing. Yeah, which we won't spoil because you got to listen to the interview. But but yeah, she was super great. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. I know. uh, Yeah. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. I was going to like share something personal, but I don't even know what's happening with me. I'm not sick anymore. That's good. I, still, I feel really, really good about that. That's exciting. <laughs> I uh, I started to get a little, nobody cares. I started, to get, I started to feel a little bit of tickle in my throat. So I was like, you is this Jerry? Oh, but, no, I don't think so. No, you can't I think blame me. Yeah, I know. Um, no, yeah. I, um, are you dating? No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I so I'm in this weird I feel like interim transition period of like there was something that was working for me for a while and now the type of interactions and the men that I was meeting just aren't vibing. Yeah. And so now I'm just there's I'm like, where are the other people who are in this other space? Sure. And now I just, you know, don't have time. <laughs> Which I yeah. guess is sort of an excuse, but like yeah, it feels like there's just too many other things going on. Yeah, I so, know I get that. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to carve out any time myself. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I did sort of go back on the apps like I like, I, like dip my toe back mm-hmm. in. But mm-hmm. I do, it gives me like, I was just talking about this with, with Olga, my roommate, about like I get a lot of anxiety of not, knowing what like the person I'm going to meet like sounds like or really looks like and yeah, like showing up yeah. to a place and just being like, Oh, is this, this person is this, you know? And I, I, I don't know something about it just drives me crazy. It's so funny because I almost feel the opposite where oh. I get anxiety about what I'm going to like show. Like I'm like, Oh, oh is my beard the same length as it is in the picture? Oh my God. That's funny. Or, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You want to know if they're going to, yeah. 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 I, I think I, yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I get worried because of the experiences I had mm-hmm. o- I've had online, where like I'll get excited about somebody and then they'll so far miss in yeah. person that sure, I it's true. like disappointing, that, yeah. you know. And I've only been on like half a dozen 
online dates. But it, yeah, it does feel like this thing of I, I don't even know if it's worth the time. <laughs> well, on that note. Yeah. Enjoy. enjoy. I'm feeling yummy head to toe. You see me. Ain't got no patience, so let's go. You see me. Welcome to Finding My Yum. I'm so excited today. We have Dr. Amy Hardwick, who is a licensed marriage and family therapist, sex therapist. Um, you are our first licensed therapist and expert on the podcast. So thank Excellent. you for being here. Yeah, yeah, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I feel like we can just dive right in. I think you have like an interesting story and I just like to hear about like how you even got into the field mm-hmm. and what sort of attracted you to it. Yeah, well, I got into the field. Um, I've always had an interest in human behavior. So as you know, psychology is the study of human behavior. So I always think of it having to do just with the brain and the mind, but it's how we actually see behavior. So mm-hmm. behavior is then based on what you think. So you're thinking and feeling things and then you display a behavior and that's what we can study because it's tangible. Mm-hmm. So when I was a lot younger, I was always interested in more deviant behavior as a lot of, you know, women are the biggest watchers of true crime, by the way. Yes, yeah, it's like the I biggest know. demographic. <laughs> it's usually like women mostly in their... 30s and older typically Caucasian typically middle class and upper middle class so that's an interesting demographic for people that are interested in crime yeah that is I actually didn't know that yeah (laughs) um but when I was an adolescent I was into like deviant behavior serial killers and I'd read all the psychology books about that and was made fun of endlessly of course um but then that translated into an interest in my adolescence in feminism and I was pretty much like a raging feminist at that you know angry adolescent yeah I'm like, how can I combine my interest in my feminist passions and also my interest in human behavior into something I can do for a living? So I knew probably when I was a teenager that I wanted to be a therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, But my dream job at the time was a forensic psychologist that worked with high profile crime cases. You know, I thought about that, too. Or a forensic anthropologist. Forensic anthropologist sounds interesting. And um, but then to do exactly what I wanted to do, I needed a Ph.D. in psychology and a law degree. And I needed to be the top of my entire field. Otherwise, it wasn't what I wanted. I'm like, well, that's I don't know if that's likely or sustainable or even pleasant and enjoyable. Right. Getting there. Right. So (laughs) then in my my, when I started going to school, I knew I wanted to do psychology. So I did my bachelor's in psychology, took my time, kind of worked in the fitness industry as I did that. And then realizing as I started my master's to be a licensed therapist that there's a real lack of education for therapists about sexuality. There's only mm-hmm. one unit of education in all master's programs for, for psychology. So if you go to a therapist, any therapist. In the general curriculum or mm-hmm. was this in your, okay. No, all across the board. Yeah, across the board. And wow. so, yeah. No, you know, is, I feel like that's pretty yeah. <laughs> um, like exemplified within our school system too. Of course, how sex- we, sexuality. Yeah. But if therapists, so if a marriage and family therapist are licensed has the word marriage in it right. so you know if you're dealing with couples couples have sex or don't have sex and that typically is part of an issue nobody's exactly the same in what their desires or behaviors are right. so you would imagine that somebody that has this title would have an extensive amount of education in intimacy sexual behavior yeah. how that impacts relationships but they don't because it's not required so for somebody to have any real expertise in that they have to seek it out post degree and now when you're in your master's program you're working all the time and then you're in a traineeship where you're essentially working a part-time job for free Mm -hmm. and then you have to provide for yourself so the last thing on your mind at that point is let me go take some extra classes yeah additional so most (laughs) people don't and so I decided that I wanted to specialize in this area to do a service mostly for women because that was more of my passion but then I also saw a real disservice to men that was happening as well 
Um, so I did my PhD in human sexuality. I wrote a book. I'm very open and constantly going on podcasts and speaking because there's just not a lot of people who have additional expertise in LA. It's really a pretty small circle of people. And when we get called for TV shows or writing things, people will say, Oh, well, we've talked to these other five people. I'm like, let me tell you who they are. It's probably this person, this person, this person. I know them all. They're all my friends. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so it it is actually a pretty small circle of actual experts that have, when you say you did your PhD mm-hmm. in it's specifically within right so it's not a psychology degree I specifically mm-hmm. did a degree that's a philosophy of human sexuality so uh-huh. sometimes people that do this degree at this particular school were therapists sometimes psychologists sometimes medical professionals sometimes they were people that you know already had a master's degree and they were massage therapists and they wanted to do a sensual massage so it's across the board of the people that obtained this degree. So there's not a sexuality psychology degree. Right. And a PhD. There's not. What, exist. what did that look like then? Like what did a curriculum and the philosophy of sexuality so look like? So the history of sexuality, sexology is a study, everything from how psychology evolved in human sexuality to how we view sexuality as a culture. Mm-hmm. I actually ended up doing my dissertation on how chronic and terminal illness affects intimacy. So that was a study that I did. So I specifically focused on HIV and hepatitis C and how people that are infected with that and even live a very long time avoid intimacy and have difficulties in relationships because of disclosing a highly stigmatized illness Mm -hmm. and how that then affects sex and intimacy. So that's what I, that's what I studied. So that was like half of it was that study that I did. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and sexology is just the study of sexuality. Okay. Yeah. But there's a lot of pop culture people that will say, I'm a sexologist or I'm a sex therapist. You actually can't say you're a sex therapist unless you're a licensed therapist. Right. Um, so I was a little angry the other day. I saw BuzzFeed put some article up and it was this woman that wanted to support women through their plastic surgery journeys, which, hey, that's a great support to have. Sure. Um, but BuzzFeed actually said sex therapist so-and-so. And I said, Yo, you can't use that terminology buzzfeed right. i had better faith in you please <laughs> uh they never wrote back i just wrote to them on instagram i'm like i'm gonna tell them yeah these are the legal requirements for this type of thing but um there's a lot of misinformation so that's why i try to go on podcasts yeah. because there's so many pseudo experts right out there especially with so many platforms that are so easy for people to use so it's important that people use the right terminology based on what their actual degrees or professions are right so when you're so when you're working with women or clients um in terms of that background like how does that help you approach their issues in a different way or like what what is the approach then with these yeah yeah it's called a sex positive approach Mm -hmm. so you know I have an academic education background in sexuality so I know the science of sex better than the typical therapist so when you say science do you Mm -hmm. actually mean like are we talking like genitalia how it interacts hormonally biological psychological uh, behavioral studies so all of those there are scientific studies on those several categories so yes uh, anatomically sure I have had female clients that have had endometriosis that didn't know what the cervix was mm-hmm. so you know have I pulled out a diagram and let's look at this diagram that's happened but very rarely sure. it's less of that and I think people think that's kind of what I do is like yeah um there's a woman that makes vagina puppets and I think they're really cool I forget oh, I forget the name off the top of my head um but a lot of sex therapists will have these like vagina puppets and be like this is the vulva I think everybody should have a vagina and they're really puppet. cute they're handmade <laughs> and they're anatomically like correct same. and they look like muppets they're so cute that's amazing um, I don't have one of those in my office <laughs> but 
you know, honestly, if somebody wants to buy one, you one as a birthday present, it's in two weeks. I will okay. take one. It's noted. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's not really what I do as much as just having that working knowledge and educating clients also on sexual behavior on what's normal. So I, I did hand quotes there. So mm-hmm. Yeah. Podcast. Hard people to can't see. see yeah. That. Yeah. Um, so what's m- normal when I mean normal, normalized behavior, more common. A lot of people think they're abnormal or strange or outside of the box when typically it's because people don't talk about sex a lot and what most people talk to me about in my session actually isn't there's really nothing that's been shocking to me or yeah. something I haven't heard right so, I mean I, th- that's become a mission of this podcast is really like the the division that we have between public and private personas the visibility too yeah. of what what is actually happening out there yeah um so, and so then shame I feel like oh, comes up the biggest part of biggest sexuality part. <laughs> too yeah. that I deal with in my practice and even the issues related outside of sexuality and so then the other aspect is being more sex positive so whether it's the degree that I sought out the being certified through ASAC the American Association of Sexuality Educators therapists and client uh, counselors Mm -hmm. um, looking at things from a sex positive perspective that anything you do in regards to sexuality as long as you're not hurting other people um, is generally okay yeah so whether that's a kink you have or a relationship dynamic or an attraction that you have it's all okay as long as you're not hurting anybody right and uh, so going from that approach and just normalizing people's behaviors or choices can be very refreshing because you'd be surprised still in this day in Los Angeles how many therapists people will go to and they say, well, you know, your real problem is that right. you chose to be a stripper in your 20s. I heard that recently that a, a previous therapist of a client their therapist told them, well, they must have a personality disorder because I chose to be an exotic dancer as opposed to the real answer, which was, hey, it was an easy way to make money instead right. of working at a restaurant, you know, at that age in my life. And I'm, I'm and really happy I had that also experience. also be an empowering choice right. where Absolutely. you get to own your body. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's also important, you know, I think when I was in my early 20s, I looked at things like that as these women are so empowered and everybody that makes this choice is always empowered. But it's also not that right. dichotomized either. Of so course. looking at things from a broad spectrum and looking at personal choice and what's healthy but also just not judging people based on their decisions and meeting them where they're at if I have a client that's a sex worker I do work with quite a quite a bit of sex workers um, and they like what they do but they find that other people around them have had poor boundaries or certain decisions or Mm -hmm. clients that they've taken on have felt very violating it's looking at that not you must stop what you're doing because it's shameful right it's how do we change your behavior and what you already choose to do um, that is your choice and make that something that feels healthier for you. So it's using yeah. those approaches instead of your problem is that you're a right. whatever. Yeah. yeah. Your dad abandoned you. You have daddy issues. Or right. You have daddy like that. issues. And yeah. that's why you're this. And, you know, there's definitely a higher correlated um, amount of people that come from certain backgrounds in sex work that I've seen as a professional. But also because of that, they've chosen something that becomes empowering or they can mm-hmm. get out of a dynamic that's unhealthy or right you, you know, can so rewrite the narrative almost. right it doesn't have to be well this is this is terrible because of this yeah um so yeah working from a sex positive perspective that whatever people choose to do is their choice and how can we work within that and make that then more healthy or more satisfying or more comfortable mm-hmm. or more, or have more insight. You know, maybe maybe they don't like what they do, but they didn't understand why. Yeah. So exploring those insights and awarenesses. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we've had on several, uh, like, sex educators, people who mm-hmm. identify as sex educators or mm-hmm. um, who aren't licensed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this idea about... Um, I think something that's been floating around for me and coming up a lot is the idea that sex can be 
transformative and healing mm-hmm. uh and also because it's so vulnerable and intimate mm-hmm. can bring up like a lot of trauma that can be processed mm-hmm. uh, and so is i think a lot of their work um is almost to facilitate that through like exercises or communication. And I'm curious from uh, like a clinical standpoint or, you know, because of your background, is that something that you explore? Like uh, some other stuff that's coming up is like BDSM can Mm. be a tool to explore that and within boundaries. um, And so I, I, yeah, I'm curious, like from a clinical standpoint is, uh, do you approach Uh, issues like that or if if clients come in with you know wanting to explore or think about these things in Mm -hmm. in certain ways are there is that a certain approach that you have of course yeah Mm -hmm. and I'll meet a client where they're at I'm never gonna have a client that comes in and says I had trauma as a young child and I say why don't you go to a dungeon sure (laughs) solve your problems that way right probably not the best uh way to do it but if I have clients that say you know I've had this trauma in my past and I find that you know, experimenting a little bit has worked well. I'd like to explore that more. I might help that client explore how safe their partners are feeling. Mm -hmm. Do they have partners that are respectful that can communicate with them? Are they in a community that understands safe, sane, and consensual and the other types of rules that typically exist in the BDSM community? Mm -hmm. Um, So going in blindly would be more traumatizing as it can be very traumatizing. So yes, it can be transformative if you have what's called a corrective experience. Mm -hmm. So that would be you experience something similar, but there's a different outcome. So Mm -hmm. Uh maybe you're restrained, but then you're able to assert yourself and get out of that restraint or you're restrained and the person's actually respecting you and respecting your boundaries as opposed to violating you. However, that's a very vulnerable and sensitive space. It's not something to jump into and it's not something to do without a lot of research and support from partners, educators, um, education. So it can be, can be very helpful. I know people that have had a lot of positive experiences involved in BDSM after trauma. I also know people that have, been involved in that and been very traumatized and re-traumatized by it yeah so so just like anything with education support stepping slowly into it it can be very very helpful yeah 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 I just it's it's been fascinating because I think a lot of like um approaching it from more of like a life coach standpoint Mm -hmm. there's like almost like exercises that they've given as like Mm -hmm. like to work on pleasure on yourself or feeling, you know, um, and from a clinical point, I've never like had a therapist sort of approach it in that way. So oh, yeah. I didn't know if that because, like, oh, I tell because- people to do the mm-hmm. homework like that. Of course, the difference between myself and somebody who would might be more of a coach or, mm-hmm. um, an educator or some type of even a surrogate yeah um is I don't do those things in my office so sure. I'm not like come bring your sex toy yeah, no, yeah, that, yeah. that can't happen <laughs> in my office but I might tell a client okay your homework this week is go to the pleasure chest talk to the people there try to see what's going to be a toy or something for you that you feel comfortable with mm-hmm. or I might tell, might tell clients to reserve the space to masturbate or do self-touch so I'll definitely tell people to do that and yeah again a therapist is totally that's within the scope to be able to talk about but yeah. a lot of them don't unless they have this particular background right that's so. why I think it, yeah, I find you so unique and I was curious mm. just about the clinical side of it there's and also some- talking about when that's successful if I have a client yeah. that says you know I've never been able to achieve an orgasm on my own and um, I actually able carved out space and time for myself this weekend and it happened and it was my first time experiencing this by myself and I'm so happy I would definitely validate that client and talk about how proud I was that they would were be, to be able to allow themselves to be comfortable and relax and be in that headspace to be able to do that so 
I, you know, I don't know if a lot of other therapists uh, that don't specialize in this would congratulate a client yeah. for their <laughs> orgasm. Like, if I had a friend that achieved that, I would say, oh, I'm so proud of you. That's so wonderful. Yeah. You know, and, and, I um, think we should all applaud pleasure. Yeah. Absolutely. All. <laughs> right. And pleasure and also just connect, being connected to your body and, mm-hmm. and doing something for the first time that feels vulnerable and scary. So, um, yeah, the conversations I have in my office probably sound a lot more liberal and positive and intimacy focused. Um, but also maybe half my clients don't come to me for those things. Maybe they eventually realize I specialize and they'll open up more, Sure, but it's not all I talk about all the time. Yeah. But I would say like half of my practice is somehow related to something related to sex positive perspectives. Yeah. Um, so just something that I think is interesting just within the scope of like your journey Mm -hmm. is that you were saying you had like a more public relationship Mm -hmm. and because of that there were photos from not even photos just the terminology so um yeah to to backtrack to our conversation um when you had initially called me about this podcast you said you know it'd be great to talk about your unconventional journey of how you got where you got and my journey actually is like not very unconventional at right, all. Right, exactly. But the reason it may look like that if you were to Google me are from a few different things that are very much related to a combination of a crime that was committed against me and then also the way the media portrays people and mm-hmm. women. So when I was, I, I mean, I was still in graduate school. I was uh, in a situation where I had a stalker. I had a restraining order against this person. They were also a hacker. And they put my Playboy name online in connection to my actual name as a way to stalk me and harass me. This was many years oh, wow. ago. So that was the first time it kind of, that's why it was connected to my real name. Got when it. I did it, I'll be honest, I was in graduate school. I have small breasts. I'm brunette. I was in school for a graduate degree and they asked me to shoot. And I'm like, wow, that's bucket list. I could do everything. <laughs> yeah. How cool. Sure. And, you know, it doesn't pay well at the time. Um, all the Playboy shoots paid like 500 per shoot, which at the time, the other jobs I was doing, which I did like commercial print modeling and I did, you know, featured background work, whatever I could fit in in between yeah. school and everything. I did these like random jobs, bartending. Um, so I was like, oh, that's a, a fair rate. And that's kind of what I would make on some of these other featured background type jobs I was yeah. doing at the time. Um, so I was excited to do it. I never posted about it. I never told anyone. And this is, I didn't know this, but you don't use your real No, they ask you to change even like a spelling so they own it. Because what they're actually hoping is that you do run for political office one day and then they can sell these, you know, they own, they kind of own these, these images. But for me, it was fine. I'm like, I agree with this. In fact, this feels great. And the woman that shot me was, um, Holly Randall. She's a great sex positive, uh, erotic photographer she was on the there's two of these shows on netflix called hot girls wanted but one is more sex positive and she's featured in that she's great um and she's the connection of actually how i, I wrote my book oh because cool. she does the photographs for this publishing company she said, i know a therapist and so i i had a great experience but i didn't put it out there because i'm like eh, this is more for me i don't care if people find out but it's my purpose wasn't to be famous from it or make a lot of money right. or be in some type of culture i just did it it was two half day photo shoots that i did actually back in maybe 2011, 2010. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was nice. I didn't show a lot. That's the big complaint about Playboys that I wasn't showing enough. And <laughs> yeah. I was more conservative, like high-waisted. You know, I got to pick my outfits. It was great. Um, but then because of this crime that was committed against me, mm-hmm. it was connected to my real name, which was not exciting for me. I'm like, I felt violated. Right. But the cyber cl- crime laws don't protect people from anything like that. It's like, well, freedom of speech. 
which is true. And there's and a if you're a public, does that fall under public domain because of the nature? No, I mean you. If they took photos from any website that were not their property, a uh, property um, uh, lawyer would be able to petition to get those photos down. But you know that's a lot of work, and it's kind right. of not that big of a deal to the legal team for certain companies. I mean, for and for any circumstance, like if you had your photos and some website was posting them, yeah, you know, so. I got a restraining order against that person that was part of the the reason, but it wasn't the only reason because you can't get a restraining order for people posting about you online. Right. So that's why it was connected at all. And then fast forward years later, I was in a high profile relationship. I was engaged to somebody and that relationship when I was with that person, um, when our engagement was found out by tabloids, which also was not my choice and was mm-hmm. not something mm-hmm. I had wanted to participate in. But they kind of write to you and say, well, we're going to put this out anyway. So you can either choose the photos mm-hmm. we use or, you know, I'm sure you've seen like tabloids that pick like really ugly airport photos of celebrities with their oh, hands God. up. Yeah. Like, don't take my photo or like, right. you know, like. Uh, so at first, one of them actually did use a selfie that I had on Instagram from like three years before where I was in my bathroom taking a selfie with like a choker that I bought that was really cute. And I'm like, that makes me look so stupid. <laughs> um, so we were able to pick the photos that they used where we could choose not to and let them do it. So we right. were in cooperation, but it very much feels like you're being blackmailed yeah, by manipulated. the Well, you are. <laughs> yeah, scary. they're using it's, it as leverage. And I'm like, I didn't sign up for And, you know, the relationship I was in, I, I didn't seek out this person. It was like fell, fell into a very organic meeting in person, fell in love as people do. And that was not, I mean, I knew that maybe it would be more public, but I didn't realize like how nasty people could Mm. be and how they judge the not famous person right so thank god i i do have the background i have because a lot of people were saying oh she must be this type oh look she must be a model look how she looks Mm -hmm. i'm like well that's very flattering but actually i'm a therapist (laughs) yeah (laughs) um you know i actually do have a degree and i you know have my own job um but even when i was in that relationship people would say oh hi nice to meet you do you work or what do you do right yes i work what so the assumption that if you're with somebody that's well-known and successful, that you must you're not like, have a job and you yeah, must just be a pretty piece. face, yeah. your arm candy. Mm-hmm. So it was nice to prove people differently. But when articles would come out about our engagement, which, again, not the focus of when I was getting engaged was to put it out in the tabloids. Right. It would say playboy model turned therapist or sexy oh, wow. therapist sexy sex therapist playboy model it was always the playboy clickbait right. and i'm like gosh you know that wasn't even put out with my real name it was so many years ago and it was like a two, tiny blip and it was you know it was cyber playboy so it wasn't even in the magazine and mm. there's about two to three hundred new girls they shoot a year for the cyber stuff mm-hmm. so well they did at the time it's all changed now but so if between that and the magazine there's three to four hundred women that are shot it's not like it's really not that special yeah it's not that big it's of a really deal. i mean i like, mean it's cool it it's is a cool, cool thing it's but validating. for them to like harp on it yeah and, and then like, to yeah. make it a part of your identity well but that's who i am and i was right like, like this is i am playboy and then sexy therapist and right. i'm like oh my gosh but all in your like engagement announcement like right that's yeah. right and right. then of course they also like and this person was engaged to this person before i'm like definitely also not what i need to like is that that but the, now when i read things like that like if i'm on apple news and things will come up and it'll say this celebrity was engaged and then they were engaged before to this person. Like, ooh, ew. It's like the last thing you want. Like when you introduce a new partner to right. somebody, you're not like, this Here's is my, my boyfriend, laundry Bob. List of- <laughs> By the way, before me, Bob was with Sally. <laughs> yeah. They had a falling out. It was terrible. Anyway. Yeah. 
I was with George. George was, yeah. yeah like, it's, like, it's here's so, the litany the perspective of, of that, but it's become so normalized in our mm-hmm. culture. So that, of course, wasn't fun, but I'm like, whatever. But then, of course, the harassment I got from that label then being attached to this person I was with, and then the breakup, don't even, oh my God. <laughs> it's like, you already you're going through a breakup, which right. no matter what is sad, unfortunate, tragic. And then to have like the tabloids posting again, playboy model turned sexy therapist uh, and then they have like some witty way of saying that the relationship is over so you're like the joke and even though it's and all of these celebrity type of breakups are kind of written in this way yes oh my gosh this is terrible so now when you look me up because it's like people.com and us weekly and that's a high traffic website that's what comes up so it's like my breakup ends up becoming what comes up when you google me and it's like that's no hey that sucks right yeah i have an identity other than and then a breakup yeah that was you know sad so then people will ask and once in a while i'll have a client say you know i googled you to find your address for directions and um sorry about your breakup and i'm like yeah yeah okay well thank you (laughs) anyway how was your week um but yeah yeah uh you know and that's something that it's not gonna go down because it's these high traffic websites so the, right the well you have to do a lot therapist. of work on google i feel like to move different web- not those kind of websites yeah. those are really yeah. you can't even so I've, some it. of the harassment because i've received some harassment because of this other situation in the past so that stuff yeah you can you know generate positive stuff and it pushes the bad stuff down but on this level yeah um it's it's definitely more difficult so it's kind of like all right my this situation can be very visible and that's what it is and nothing really changes that but the clickbait way that they view women so that's what we were talking about on the phone is that what's the purpose for them of using one thing I did years ago that's such a small blip in my history and saying that that made me turned therapist to be a therapist I went to school for 15 years right I spent a lot of money I'm in quite a bit of debt <laughs> that I'm slowly paying off um and I'm constantly involved in a community it's years and years you know since let's say I'm 30 I'll be 38 next week I've been going to school since I was 18 like right out of high school mm. so almost 20 years of education right because I'm still attending things and adding to my repertoire of yeah, things that absolutely. I do um in comparison to maybe 10 hours of work I did absolutely so the, yeah and even jobs that I did that were side jobs I've actually worked as a clown more <laughs> than I've yeah it's true um <laughs> more than that. more than I've shot nude for playboy it wasn't right. full nude and so you know i think that that's interesting i actually wish they wrote ex-clown turns right. therapist i would love that therapist. yeah <laughs> why don't Quirky why therapist my clown takes pass? off her nose yeah <laughs> like actually i didn't wear an actual nose uh, it was more like black and white it was uh, kind of cool. like cool and i had a tutu and the whole thing oh there you go but you know also going through school i did every odd job so when you go through graduate school everyone's doing like bartending right. and interesting you gotta make money and in la there's more unconventional jobs like being a clown or I was a fire eater. I worked with circuses for, I mean, that was a career. Cool. That was actually a big part. I recently retired because I'm like, I don't have time to go to some yeah. event in some person's backyard in Beverly Hills and right. eat fire. I'm just kind of like, I'm tired. You know what I did last night? It's Saturday night. I binge watched a show with my friends. We ate donuts. Yeah. Like that's that's all I want to do ideal. when I'm not working. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting because a lot of the conversation I think that's been coming up on this podcast and for me in mm-hmm. general is like we have very specific identity boxes for mm-hmm. men and women and women in particular. Especially like, women. Yeah, yeah. They're either like the virgin who's like, you know, keeping like the Pollyanna 
know, or you're the slut. And, and so this dichotomy can be unhealthy, yeah. but it's also how we want to categorize women publicly. Think mm-hmm. about politicians that we yeah. had, you know, when Hillary Clinton was running for office and she was in a debate, it was called a cat fight. Yep. Or we look at how women are or dressed. Or a bitch. She was maligned. She didn't smile. She wasn't like personable. Like, no, we would never say that about never like, Joe Biden. Or, right. Oh, yeah, man, Joe Biden dresses this way. <laughs> and again, he's in a cat those, fight. Yeah, those suits are so frigid. And yeah, like, yeah. Get up to date. Or then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Mm-hmm. Oh, she's dancing on her social media so she can be more just herself right and just like the response to that it's like well she's just being a person like she's she's actually not that edgy but because she's young and she's attractive she gets so much more criticism for just Mm -hmm. that let alone any politics that she might stand behind right so I think that the way that that was portrayed with me is oh we must make her exciting and sexual because that's clickbait yep Mm -hmm. and then people are going to click on that article and the traffic will be increased and the advertising is increased so you know I feel in that way very exploited I didn't consent to that and I don't want to be exploited for clickbait for advertisements to be paid on tabloid websites but that you know that's our culture and I think that we don't think about how that's done all the time when we read about whether it's celebrities we read about just anybody in general Mm -hmm. and then also a lot of the positive press we read that's all curated as well it's all done through PR companies Mm -hmm. absolutely so I was um I don't usually get in online debates, but I was. <laughs> but yesterday I was on Facebook and somebody I don't even know that I follow and somebody commented about the Lori Loughlin mm-hmm. college admission situation. Yeah. And um, she said, uh, somebody said, I heard she was looking for a PR person to improve her reputation. This is what she gets for this behavior. Um, ha ha, isn't that so funny that she has to do this? And I, I said, oh, excuse me, let me chime in. Um, most celebrities have a PR person, whether they're scandal yeah. celebrities or not. 100%. To create positive press. Like, didn't you ever wonder why when Jennifer Gardner helped Ben Affleck into rehab, I think it was a year ago, all of a sudden, Apple News was saturated with Jennifer Gardner's cupcake recipes. Like, Mm-hmm. Right. Ha! Huh, right. Let's see all these like squeaky clean things because let's get the attention away from the actual trauma that's happening in her life. Because even though right. it's not something she did wrong, her image is more related to being like the all American woman and, you know, it's kind of squeaky clean. And so anything you read online about anyone famous is probably curated through a PR company. Yeah. I actually think, if you don't mind me, yeah. I have a, a question I think is interesting. So, like, something that's come up on the podcast a, a decent amount too has been like, you know, what do you do when you are concerned about what somebody else thinks about you? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think like Jerry had this uh, earlier on, which is like, if I, you know, go to a sex party and now if someone finds out, then they're going to think of me in this way, even though that's not really who I am. I would say, congratulate. What what a great, great experience for you. <laughs> yeah. for sure. But it's true. Which but if was. you don't have a PR person, I guess my right. question yeah, is like, right. how what, do you what happens there? Manage yourself? Um, Right. So some of it's, you know, obviously it's easier said than letting go of what people think of you because what's the worst that can happen? They're not going to like you. They're going to unfollow you on social media. They're going to think you're a slut. And then you use that as an opportunity, especially because you have a platform to say, you know, for example, I attended a sex party, but, you know, I did this for this reason and I'm proud of doing this, whether or not you participated or not. One of the other random jobs I had in college is I bartended sex parties. Yeah. And I actually loved doing that mm-hmm. because I was able to see how not everyone participates. Yep. Um, everyone was, I mean, in the ones that I had been around, um, really polite. Nobody hit on me. Why hit on the bartender when you're everybody else wants to have sex? It's right. a waste of time. It's just not logical. So I actually was hit on less than any other situation I've been in. It was yeah. easy because people were having sex and I didn't have to make drinks. You know, it's just maybe like eight years ago or so. Yeah. Um, and I got to see this insight of a culture that I thought actually 
was pretty respectable. And I the my overwhelming takeaway from that, uh, this party was a little bit different, but like the sex positive community in general is so much more communicative. So much different. So than, much more about yeah. consent because people are more comfortable talking about what they want, their right. needs, making sure their boundaries mm-hmm. are met, you know, and and that was like one of my. But like, if somebody favorite. judges you for that, so mm-hmm. you know, if somebody says, "Oh, I don't know, you've been to these, you must be into some crazy yeah. stuff," or just with me, "Ooh, you," I and I, I'm kind of single-ish again. So I'm like, okay, going on dates with people, and they'll say, "Well, you're a sex therapist. Oh, you must be involved in some really wild stuff." I'm like, "Oh yeah, real wild." Do you hear about my donut binge party? Don't, donut, my donut binge, party. watching sci-fi movies, and I spend my cat is like, you know, I'm a crazy cat person. Um, so, but it's this this association. So if people are gonna say things like that, obviously, that's not the kind of social group you want to be around right. so if it's like a social thing or somebody you're dating that says oh i don't know you've been to a sex party you must be dot 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 you can try to c- correct them about what that culture is but you can't change the world and you right. can't do everything all the time so that can become exhausting so choosing people to have be around you that understand those things and are non-judgmental because that's judgment and shame that's being then put on those things. Right. So, well, and I feel like a big realization I've had around it in a bunch of different conversations too is like I w- like was more prone to label people or stick people in boxes or mm. try to define them so mm. that there was a lot of things that I didn't have to deal with inside or mm. like that it brought up for me right that I was like oh if you go to a sex party that makes me feel whatever way I'm interested but I have shame around that mm. so if I label you as bad as you know doing something mm. devious and shameful then I don't have to deal with my own like um, conception mm-hmm. of it or what's going on inside and so I think that's been an interesting journey so of looking at your own automatic thoughts, mm-hmm. right? Your own automatic thoughts about what that means to you. And then also how does this affect me socially? Yeah. Um, and if you wanted to share those things, I think, I think it's a good idea to be visible, you know, and, and just because you attend something or you like something doesn't mean that you are then whatever this associated adjective or lifestyle would be to those mm-hmm. things. So, right. so I think it's a good idea to talk about these things. And the problem is when people become judgmental because of their lack of information. Yeah. Um, mm. So if people say, well, you know, you've done this thing or girls that do this or this way. Um, I had a guy friend that I caught up with yesterday um, and he said, you know, these girls on Instagram, they're pretty much all prostitutes. I'm like, well, actually, <laughs> um, you know, the, Sex workers, let's right. like take the word prostitute away. Yeah. Let's, the umbrella of sex work, there are a lot of sex workers, but then also people portray themselves sexy that aren't sex workers. And the people that are sex workers, you might not even know. Yep. So, you know, that, let's talk about what that means to you. Do you want to talk about sex workers? Because I can talk about that all day long. Yeah, and exactly. he was just so jarred by this because he just wanted to make this statement that was judgmental no, on course. women. But he yeah. didn't want to actually engage in a conversation about um, the laws about sex workers portraying themselves on social media and the, how that then becomes hurtful, right. how that becomes restrictive. Well, what's actually sex work and what what is just a derogatory term that you're throwing right. out because you want to label somebody who's posting a picture of their butt or, you know, something. Right, as that, a sex yeah. worker, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, they may or may not be, but right. what's what does that matter? Yeah. 
who cares like yeah. what do, are you are you are you trying to find a sex worker to hire yes what does it matter to you if somebody wants to do this thing then just don't look right you, and you don't can participate yeah right, don't right. but yeah. you know i think this this i was he was showing me his pictures on his phone he's trying to find something else and i just saw a bunch of screenshots of girls butts on instagram i'm like <laughs> you are actually just creeping on all these yeah, girls you're and you're, partici- ma- you're yeah. mad that they're not responding to you. So you're just angry. So your issue is that you're just angry that you're not getting the <laughs> attention. And so you're like, this, these girls in these bikinis. Um, but I have friends and I work with clients that are influencers and I think, hey, what a cool thing yeah. to be able to do mm-hmm. as long as you understand that like this is all based on social media and that could change. Social media could just change. I think the likes thing is changing yeah. on Instagram mm-hmm. or it might so that is basing your income and identity on a fluctuating, unstable platform. Right. And that's what concerns me for people I know is how, when, and if that changes, how does that affect income and stability in our culture? So, you know, if people want to do something, whether it's go to a sex party or, you know, put up bikini pictures for whatever reason yeah. on Instagram, it's like, it's all whatever. Right. Just don't look, you know, stay in your own lane. I, I really, um, I'm not in AA, but I really love AA slogans because they're very catchy. They are. And like stay yeah. in your lane, keep your, mm. keep your side of the street clean. That's mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Um, because thinking of it in that metaphor is, you know what, if other people are doing their own thing, whether it's something you just don't agree with or something that's different from your values or something that's maybe unethical, you just stay in your lane. You right. Keep your side of the street clean. You do what you feel is ethical and mm-hmm. you, you stay in that lane and you're going to have a lot less problems. But when you deviate outside of your lane or you worry about other people's business, right? that's when you become conflicted about it. It's like worrying about what people would think about a sex party. Yeah. Um, you know, if they have a judgment on you, that's their problem. They're, they're right. projecting on you. Yeah, so, exactly. Um, and nobody needs that. So, no. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I did all these jobs when I was younger that actually did afford me the ability to have this fly on the wall vision of different cultures that I wouldn't necessarily be in as organically. Right. Um, so that's really been helpful for me to see, you know, whether it's sex parties or clowns yeah. or right. um, circus people or high end events or these things that I did that were outside of my scope of what I do as a therapist when I was younger. Um, doing all these random, very random jobs um, really helped me see different cultures differently. So Yeah, I mean, it's been like since I got out of a toxic relationship like a year and a half ago, and that was the impetus sort of for this exploration and then ultimately this podcast. But I think even in opening my scope and experiencing like going to a sex party or like having different experiences with different kinds of people, different like men and women now like, I learned so much more about myself and just people in general because like in these in these cultures like there's a veil of inhibition that's down like people are more communicative they're more willing to be open oh, and vulnerable the communication and I mean there's obviously problematic people in any type of culture or subculture however when I work with people that are already in the kink community mm-hmm. kink community um, open relationship couples non-monogamous couples the communication they already come in to start with is so much higher than couples or people that are not in those communities. As a therapist, it's a delight (laughs) to work with somebody that's already like, uh, you know, here's my boundary. Here's how I've communicated it. Let's let's renegotiate our relationship contract. I'm like, oh, this is so great. (laughs) I'm helping people that are already at this high level that can, that are just tweaking what they're doing. And so I really love working with clients like that. Most of the couples I work with are non-monogamous couples. Mm. Um, so it's very nice for me. I, I like it quite a bit. Um, so yeah, I think that 
being aware that to be in certain subcultures or countercultures, um, you have to have a better ability to um, communicate, understand certain concepts. So not all people that are in the kink community are that way. Obviously, there's right. quite a few problematic situations there. But um, a lot of people have to have a higher level of communication and understanding to be in that community at all. Yeah. So if I have a client that comes in and says, I've been in a monogamous relationship for five years, the fact that that's sustained that long is probably telling me that they've done something to be able to sustain that. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that that's great. I think you should explore as much as you possibly you. can <laughs> within your own boundaries, obviously. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that makes people more well-rounded. Yeah. Yeah. And just to exposed that. to a variety of things. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, one yeah. more question. Yeah. I think right, just to kind of wrap things up. Um, so for anybody that's not, obviously if somebody's in LA and they are looking for a therapist that fits around kind of those types of concepts, mm-hmm. you would be a good person to reach out to. But yes. for anybody that's not in LA, mm-hmm. is there any, are there any like tips on finding the more like kink oriented yes. or like adjacent versus like the ones that'll be like, your dad left you, so right. right. Yeah. So this is your problem. How can you? How can you um, find that if you're well, looking? the the base the best way to find any therapist is the Psychology Today profile because they vet out everybody mm-hmm. who's oh. licensed. So um, that's just we can people, put a link in the yeah show um, yeah. The Counseling California is what it links to when you do it here. But otherwise, you just honestly, if you go into Google and you say, "I need a therapist in Sherman Oaks," mm-hmm. um, that's typically the first website that comes up and it's all vetting out licensed professionals. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and then people can write their specialty there. Otherwise, if you're a kink person, the kink aware professionals, um, the KAP mm-hmm. is a really good website for that. And there's also other ones for non-monogamy. Um, and if somebody has a question, you can feel free to reach out to me. My website has my email. Um, I have a Dr. Amy Harwick Instagram and Facebook. And if you message me, I can always connect you to resources so Amazing. feel free to reach out to me if you have a question you're outside of california and what was your website uh just my name dr amy harwick.com and cool. amy is spelled a-m-i-e and last name is h-a-r-w-i-c-k so that's the way people connect connect to that um i know we did mention on the phone so i'll just like brush over it quickly yeah. here that i've been working with a nonprofit called the pineapple support yes, 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 yes. and pineapple is actually um the most common safe word <laughs> i don't know why but no, it is so that's why where that came from so i've um they will connect people in the adult industry, um, performers. So yes. that is webcam girls, adult performers, anything that's like kind of on camera um, sex work um, to uh, subsidize therapy. So um, if you are an adult performer or you have been or do anything like that and you'd like help with therapy cost, you can reach out to them and they can mm. connect you all over the place. So they'll connect people to online therapy and in person. I typically just do in person therapy. Um, so that's a really good resource as well. If, if somebody is a adult performer, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. We'll put those, that yeah. website in the, you get it. The show. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, this has been such a delight. Thank you for taking yeah. time to talk to us. We've so enjoyed it. Yeah. Thanks, Thanks for so having me. Yeah. yeah. Woohoo. Ooh, ooh, oh, it's, <laughs> I was just thinking really how. weird noises. Because <laughs> I was going to do, ooh, boy, and I was like, oh, I did that. You do, ooh, boy, all last the time. Week. Yeah, I know, yeah, I did yeah. it last week, so I was trying to switch it up. I gotcha, yeah. And then you stared at me, and I got nervous, so I just <laughs> kept going with the oohs. <laughs> I'm glad it worked. That was my plan. Um, oh, Dr. Harwick, thank you for coming on. I think that was just such a joy, and I hope you guys all got something out of it. Yeah. Um, 
as usual, please uh, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Finding My Yum Podcast and uh, subscribe, rate us, uh, leave a comment wherever yeah you listen to podcasts and share it with a friend. Yeah, yeah. things are more fun we with friends. Have listen parties. More, yeah, okay. we would love, love, love to share. This Send us podcast. pictures from your listen party. Yeah, and we'll tweet it out. <laughs> On the Twitter, we don't have. <laughs> um, send us an email, um, findingmyyum at gmail.com. We need more guests. We want more guests. And you guys get excited because next week, uh, Will, our own beautiful co-producer, Will, is the guest. Allegedly. Yeah. So you'll um, get to hear a little bit about this gem of a human. Um, that's all I got. <laughs> okay. Peace Bye. <laughs>